I, uh, I think in Australia, Belinda, we've only got one word for do. And the thing is do, 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 do. So please do open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And I'm just going to read two verses to you this morning, just two. And we're going to try and uh, do some justice as we, uh, we get into this passage. So Romans 12, hmm, 1 and 2. Because it's short, I'm going to read it twice. And then I'll pray, and then we'll head into it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Take it back for me, please. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. He is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, there are, there are, there are passages in the Bible, and there are passages, and this is one of those. A passage that just crystallizes and brings together all that is in terms of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. As Tracy prayed, I pray that we'll have attentive ears, open hearts, humility, and the strength of your spirit that will bring about change that will grow us into the worshipers that we are called to be. Please, would you be with us as we hear, with me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. We are Church Volume 2. We've been on quite a Quite a journey this last term. Let me just get all pens out of the way. And this will be our final message in this series. And I guess if you were looking for a fairly simple uh, title, it would there it is. It's worship, worship. But I thought if that was a little bit boring for you, maybe that one might excite you a little bit more. A living killing, a living killing. And if you want to know. Where I got that from, I'll show you in just a moment or two. So here's the journey that we've, that we've been on. Uh, starting sort of eight weeks ago, we, we went into leadership part one and two, where we looked at elders and we looked at deacons. That was followed by church habits, particularly why it's so important to gather together. We then looked at biblical convictions. 
that was followed by serving and understanding the mind of Christ in Philippians 2. We then looked at serving little ones and little ones or us and how we serve one another. But there's a great cost. There's a self-denial that goes on all the time in the Christian life. Last week was that, that war on sin. And this morning we will finish with worship or a living killing. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 are the culmination I would say a dramatic culmination of 11 chapters in Romans 1 to 11. And as Romans 12, 1 and 2 are a dramatic culmination of, of, of Romans in a way, so this message is going to be something of a dramatic culmination to our series. Romans 12, 1 and 2, they are quintessentially, they define the Christian life. And so when you walk out of here in about three hours' time, 30 minutes, when you, 30, 35 minutes, when you, you can clock me, Vicky. Uh, just, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I want you to walk out of here in a few minutes' time. I want you to be under no doubt. I want you to be absolutely crystal clear as to what the Christian life is. I want it to be crystal clear, not clear as mud. Yay. Here's a great statement for you. It's our mission statement to make mature disciples of Jesus in ever-increasing number worldwide for the glory of God and the love of others. That's our mission statement. It's a really good one. But here's the question I want to ask. How would you answer the question, what is a disciple of Jesus? How would you answer the question, what is a maturing disciple of Jesus? What does that mean? look like? And we could come up with a number of things as we've done over this series. Is a maturing disciple someone that is growing in leadership? You can sort of go yes or no if you like, either quietly or softly as we go through. Is a maturing disciple someone growing in leadership? Growing in godly habits? Is a maturing disciple someone that's growing in theological conviction, in humility, in serving others, in self-denial, in their war on sin. And you probably sit here and say, well, well, that, that, that seems to be right, doesn't it? I mean, they, 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 these sort of things seem to be aspects of maturity. But, and they are. But they are the, the, what are they? They are the fruit of maturity. They're not the, they're not the root. Okay? These come from somewhere else. And so if we put it into a diagram, hope you can see that. Uh, you, you, you've got the root and you've got the fruit. And so if I was going to draw all of eight or nine weeks into a diagram for you, it would look something like that. And uh, the, the root is what? The root is worship. And then as you look at the screen, the fruit is leadership. The fruit is obedience, war on sin. The fruit, godly habits, humility, convictions, self-denial, and service. Romans 12, 1 and 2 pack the whole of the Christian life into this little section. And so the way I want to unpack this is this way. I want to start a sentence and I'm going to build on it three times. And then we're going to land in an application. All right? But we're going to answer this question then. What does maturing discipleship look like 
And here's the start. Discipleship is a continual offering up of all of you in worship. Discipleship is a continual offering up all of you in worship. If you've got your Bible, have a look at 12.1. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And here's the bottom line. Paul is writing to Christians and he is saying this, your discipleship, your Christian life, here's what it looks like. It looks like a continual offering up of all of you. Now, if you have a look at that word, I think I've got it. Um, Notice 12.1, as we unpack this a little bit, the word bodies, offer up your bodies. It's not just saying offer up your physical body. That's not what that word means. When it says offer up your bodies, it means offer up what? All of you. All of your mind, all of your heart, all of your physical body, all of your soul, all of you. Notice it says the word offer. In the Greek, that is the word offer, and it is in the present continuous. It means keep on doing it. Continually offer up. And then you'll notice in the verse, it says, this is your true and your proper worship. If your translation says spiritual, it's not a very good word. It's actually the Greek word logikon, logical, and the best translation is that offering up yourself continually, daily, continuously, all of the time, this is your true, your logical, your proper worship. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Notice it says, offer yourself a living sacrifice. What Paul is doing is he's using Old Testament worship language and sacrificial language, and he's drawing it into the Christian life. When a worshiper went to the temple in the Old Testament, there were a number of sacrifices that he or she could bring. You could go and have a look at them in Leviticus, for example. There were sin offerings. There were guilt offerings. There were grain offerings. There were fellowship offerings. But the most common sacrifice in the Old Testament was something called a burnt offering. A burnt offering. Now, let me give you a definition of what it was. A burnt offering was a sacrifice of an animal that was completely burned up on the altar as a tribute to God. No part of the animal was eaten or kept by the worshiper. Now, just to state the obvious, when when Paul says, offer yourself a living sacrifice, he can't be saying, offer yourself a sin offering, can you? A sin sacrifice. He can't be saying that, can he? Why not? Because Jesus Christ is our He is our once-for-all sin offering, our sacrifice for sin. And you need to understand this morning that not even killing yourself can ever atone for your sin. No amount of self-sacrifice could ever take away your sin. Because Paul says in Romans 6 verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So in this burnt offering in the Old Testament, what you did is you brought the most valuable animal from your flock to the Lord. 
You, you, brought it, you brought an animal that was without defect. And that usually meant it was the most expensive animal. And therefore, when you brought it to God in this burnt offering, it demonstrated that all you had and the very best of you and the very best that you had and the most expensive thing you had, it was all at God's disposal. It was all offered back to him. You certainly did not give God your leftovers, did you? The burnt offering was burnt in its entirety and it was presented as one's complete consecration and devotion to God. Now Paul brought, brings this language into the new covenant and here's what he's saying. A living sacrifice is to offer up your entire life to God. It is meant to be at His complete disposal. It means actively you are willing to obey absolutely everything that God says. Passively, you are willing to thank God for absolutely everything that He brings into your life. Now, the word sacrifice does imply the word killing, doesn't it? In fact, you could translate it like that. Offer yourself a living killing. Sounds a bit dramatic, doesn't it? Well, it was dramatic. I mean, imagine putting animal of the animal of the animal onto the altar, killing it, sacrificing it, burning it up. You say, well, where does the killing come in? The living killing is where you live a life where you are seeking to kill absolutely everything that belongs to your old life. It's the killing of your old self. It's continually putting to death those misdeeds of the body. It is constantly seeking to kill those evil desires that are generated by the sin living in you, according to Peter. Therefore, a living killing or a living sacrifice is a life of constantly self Denial for the sake of Christ, self-denial for the sake of others. And you remember the words of Jesus, don't you, when he said, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross, you cannot what? You cannot be my disciple. Let me, let me give you a phrase that maybe you can take home. Christians or disciples or followers of Jesus are living killers. Whoa, but dramatic. Not killing people, not killing animals, rather killing everything within you constantly, daily, that's offensive and hostile to God. It means continually putting to death the remnants of the old nature, which Paul calls the flesh or the body of death in Romans 7. Here's a wonderful quote by Tim Keller. He said, A living sacrifice means that we constantly renew our position as wholly obedient and at God's disposal. Constantly renew our position as wholly obedient and at God's disposal. A 
If you look at Romans 12, verse 1 again, notice it's offer up all of you a living sacrifice, not a dead one, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and right and logical and appropriate worship. Here's what you've got to see. What is worship? It's the living sacrifice. That's what it is. That's what worship is. It is the living sacrifice. It is the living killing. Living killing is worship. Offering up all of you, every facet, daily, constantly, is worship. Listen to this statement. And think about it in the context of worship. Is it right or wrong? A gathering leader gets up in front of the congregation, not talking about our own necessarily, but a gathering leader gets up and says to the congregation, let's stand and worship God as we sing. Is that right? Or is it wrong? Well, it's sort of right and it's sort of wrong. Well, it, it's not quite because the problem with it is that it sort of implies that what? Something is worship and maybe something isn't. And what you've got to see this morning, that worship is just a little bit more than singing songs. Thank you for leading us, Warren and the team. It's just a little bit more than praying. It's a little bit more than hearing a sermon. It's a little bit more than coming to church. It's a living, killing sacrifice. Can I put it that way? Yeah, maybe you have to be a little bit younger to know this song. It's a famous song by a guy called John Legend. Anybody know it? All of, oh, Nat and Natalie, thank you. All of me. All of me. And it's one of those gushy, romantic sort of songs, and he sings. All of, here's one of the lines, won't go into tune. All of me loves all of you. There is nothing sentimental, romantic, or gushy when it comes to a living, killing sacrifice. But it's all of you. It's everything. You. Now here's the question that lingers. Why is that the only appropriate worship? Why is that the only appropriate response? Why is that the only true? Why is, every, why is anything else inappropriate? Why is, it, why is it that a living, killing sacrifice, why is that the only true and proper and appropriate worship? That's the question, right? And do you see it? Here comes the second part of the sentence. Discipleship is a continual offering up of all of you in worship. Why? Because of the, of the mercies of God. Now hear what Paul is saying. When you understand everything in Romans 1 to 11, the only appropriate response is a living, killing sacrifice. When you understand all the mercies of God that Paul has unpacked for 11 chapters in Romans, 
Anything else but offering up all of you would be completely inappropriate, completely off base. Positively, in view of every single mercy of God in Romans 1 to 11, a living for Christ and a dying for Christ is the only appropriate worship. Make sense? Now you're sitting here saying, well, what are all these mercies in Romans 1 to 11, right? That's what you were thinking. And if I had to try and give you all the mercies in Romans 1 to 11, we would be here for the next five years because that's how most preachers go through Romans over five to ten years. You are very fortunate this morning. You're going to get it in about two minutes. Right? Two minutes. Hold on. You can clock that one. Now stay on your seat. <laughs> Strap in. Hear Christian. Hear Christian. Hear disciple. Here are the mercies of God. Read it like this. Disciple, because you are righteous in the eyes of God. Because you are redeemed. Because you are forgiven. Because you are justified. Because you have peace with God. Because you stand in grace. Because you have the hope. Because you've received the love of the Father. Because you've been baptized into Christ's death. Because you have been raised to new life. Because you are dead to sin. Because you are no longer under condemnation. Because you have received the Spirit. Because you are led by the Spirit. Because you are adopted as a son and daughter of God. Because you are interceded for by the Spirit. Because you are secure forever in the love of God. Because you've been chosen for mercy. You've been chosen for eternal glory. Because you are part of the remnant of God, your only true, right, appropriate response is to do what? Offer everything. Does it make sense? We've just, we've just scratched the surface in about 60 seconds. In view of all the mercies of God, I've just laid out for you, and that's just scratching it. In view of all the mercies of God in Christ, because of all the grace, all the kindness of God, there's only one appropriate response. To put it in the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, we would put it like this, because, because of every spiritual blessing you have received in Christ, it is only appropriate that you offer everything and all of you on the altar of life. And just to state the obvious, can you see that we're not offering ourselves up for the mercies of God? you see that? We're not offering it up so that we get the mercies because you've got the mercies, therefore you offer it up. Does that make sense? And I want you to see something else here this morning. This is so important. Can you see that the motivation for offering up all of you to God, can you see the motivation is not fear? It's what? Mercy. We're not motivated by fear, but mercy. We're not motivated by fear, but by endless grace. It's, it's not in view of God's anger. It's not in view of God's punishment. It's not in view of God's standards. It's not in view of God's laws. In view of the never-ending sovereign grace, mercy, kindness, and love to you in Jesus Christ. Offer it up. Now let me show you something. If you're motivated by fear, there are three things that will happen. One, if you're motivated by fear to offer your life to God, it, it, motivation, fear motivation will lose its power over time. 
Do you know that fear is exhausting? Fear is draining. And eventually what happens with fear, it has a numbing effect. The second problem with fear is that it will stunt repentance. Because you will never fully repent because you are afraid that somehow you've crossed the line and God's going to do what? God's going to get you. And the third problem with fear is it makes it hard to endure suffering. Because when you are motivated by fear, you're so tempted to think that the suffering you are going through is because of the, of the sin that you're doing. You see, when it's by fear, you say things like, well, God is paying me back. God has abandoned me. Maybe I've just crossed the line one too many times. In fear, you obey God so that he will bless you so that bad things won't happen to you. Let me give you my third sentence, or third part. As we build this sentence, discipleship is a continual offering up of all of you in worship because of the mercies of God being transformed through His Word. So look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will it is good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, here's the question. How does this look? What's the, what's the dynamic? How, how, how do I continually keep offering myself up to God? Put it like this. How do I know what how do I know what pleases God doesn't please God? How do I know what desires to kill and how do I know what sin is and what sin isn't? How do I know what's holy and what's unrighteous? How do I know what pleases Him? How do I know His perfect will? How does a how does a a, a living killing sacrifice? What does that look like in practice? The answer, do you see it in verse 2, is to be what? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind to a living, killing sacrifice is to constantly renew their minds through the Word of God. Negatively, now stay with me, negatively, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Positively be transformed by the renewing of His will. Do not be conformed by the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the way God thinks in His Word. Now I want to take one of the issues of our time. I know this is sensitive, but this is one of the issues of our time, and I'm going to broaden it out. What does this look like? Let's take the issue of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. What does the world say about Christians when we say that homosexuality is sin and when we say that same-sex marriage is not good, not right, not appropriate, not according to God's way? What, 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 what does the world say about Christians? We're bigoted. We are hateful, racist, sexist, 
Judgmental, hypocritical. But then we turn around and we say, but, 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 that's what God says in his word. What do they then say? Well, then the word of God is then rubbish, right? It's then said to be outdated. And then we've got professing Christians who turn around and say, well, the Bible doesn't really condemn monogamous same-sex relationships, and Jesus never directly condemned homosexuality. And so what happens is that Christians are then under enormous pressure to be what? To be conformed into the thinking of the world. Now hear this. Here's the center. To embrace homosexuality, for example, is to be conformed to the pattern of this world. But as we reject homosexuality as Christians because it's not according to God's good, pleasing, revealed will in His Word. It's God who says homosexuality is wrong. It is God who says same-sex is inappropriate. As he says that greed, idolatry, fornication, lying, stealing, lust, gluttony, they're also wrong. We don't set the standards. God does. And a life, now listen, as a life of continually offering up your life to God is discovering what God says is good and right in His Word, and then, listen, then submitting to it. But it doesn't just apply to homosexuality. It doesn't just apply to same-sex marriage. It applies to absolutely every area of our lives. I'll just give you a little snippet. So, so, so to be transformed by the renewing of your mind means that you want to understand what God says in these areas. Abortion, euthanasia, gender, sex before marriage, marriage, divorce, masturbation. Yes, I said the M word. Pornography, human rights, animal rights, parenting, having children, leadership, lotto, food, gambling, clothing, money, politics, and so we could go on. Here's what Paul is saying. Do not, a living sacrifice is someone who is not being conformed about what the world thinks about those things, but is being transformed by what God says about those things. Let me just remind you of a couple of beautiful verses in Titus. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Do not be conformed. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this age. Be transformed. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Do not be conformed and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Be transformed. Here is a truly marvelous quote by the late Tim Keller. 
To be renewing your mind is to have your mind inflamed with the truth about Christ, all He is, all He has done for us, and what He wants for us in His Word. That's what it is. Worth a read again. To be renewing your mind is to have your mind inflamed with the truth about Christ, all He is, all He has done for us, what He wants for us in His Word. So in order to have your mind continually renewed, it means that you have to have the truth about God dwelling in you richly, Colossians 3.16. It means to renew your mind is that you are yielding, you are surrendering to the Word of Christ to allow the Word of God to control you. We're not controlled by the thinking of this world but we're not controlled by our emotions and our feelings and our thinking and our intuition. We're not controlled by what we think is right and what we think is wrong. And Discipleship is a continual offering up of all of you in worship because of the mercies of God being transformed through His Word. Now, as we start to head towards the close, I want to give you three very simple applications or further applications. Here comes the first one. We can, as Christians, for various reasons, find ourselves in a place of spiritual stagnation or a spiritual weariness. Let me put it this way. Come to place many times in your life where, where, where you, you just, you're just weary of always giving yourself up to God. After last week, maybe some of you walked out of here saying, I'm so tired of fighting the inward war. Tired of the outside pressure. Tired of the, of, 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 of the constant pressure out there to be conformed to their thinking. Tired of the pushbacks. Tired of the abuse. Tired... And weary of, of seeing that our godliness and our obedience just doesn't seem to make any difference on anybody. So tired of just keeping on praying to God and God just doesn't seem to be doing anything with our prayers. I wonder if that's you, but this morning. Spiritually flat, spiritually stagnant, maybe spiritually weary. How do, you, how do you rekindle the fire? How do you rekindle the heart of worship? You have to go back and contemplate the mercies of God. To renew that passion, to renew that interest. To renew that desire to live for Christ and die for Him in killing the passions of our sinful hearts, we have to go back and meditate deeply upon the mercies of God. We have to meditate, we have to contemplate, we have to ponder, we have to think, we have to let it percolate deep within.
This might be you this morning. You might, you might actually find yourself in a place of disobedience. And that can happen in a couple of different ways. You could be sitting here this morning and you're one of those followers of Jesus that you are just plain giving in over and over and over and over to your sinful desires. Just... That's one form. Some of you here may be disobedient because you're ignorant. You actually don't know what God's Word says. You've been so conformed to the thinking of the world because you actually don't know what God has said. Well, what does the Bible say? I would dare say to you, some of you here this morning, that you're so conformed to the pattern of this world because you don't like what God says. And therefore, you won't submit to it. The only way that we are going to bring ourselves back into a place, into a space of a passionate desire for holy obedience, knowing the war from last week, but the only way we come back into that passionate space of obedience is to know that it was all of Him for all of It's not all of you for all of him. It's all of him for all of you. And when you get that, when you get that there has been this complete, utter, entire surrender of Jesus Christ, even to death on a cross, the divine Son of God humbling himself to take on the form of a servant, the, the form of a slave, even to death, obedient death on a cross, when it's, when it's all of him for all of you, there comes this, there will come this yielding and surrendering and giving and submitting to Him. And there will become that letting go of those things. Here's a quote from someone To fail to give ourselves in complete obedience to God is not only offensive morally. It is a failure to think clearly. Let me put it to this way. The extent to which you will daily surrender to Christ is dependent on the extent to which you understand and believe that it was all of him for all of you. What is a maturing disciple? Someone that's continually offering up all of themselves in worship because of the mercies of God. Been transformed through his word.
as the gathering team comes up and we're going to sing our final song, this is, this is the heart of worship. This is the very quintessential heart of worship.